Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. For a seed to achieve its greatest expression, it must come completely undone. The shell cracks, its insides come out, and everything changes. To someone who doesn't understand growth, it would look like complete destruction. Teacher Cynthia Ocelli. Jesus Christ knew he was God. So wake up. Find out eventually who you really are. In our culture, of course, they'll say you're delusional or blasphemous, and they'll put you in jail. However, if you wake up in India and tell your friends and relations, my goodness, I've discovered I'm God, they'll laugh and say, oh, congratulations, at last you found out. Teacher, Alan Wilson waits. It's in the act of having to do things that you don't want to, that you learn something about moving past self, past ego, Teacher, Bell Hooks. The cure for pain is in the pain. Teacher, Rumi. My speaking is meant to shake you awake, not to tell you how to dream better. Teacher, Adi Ashanti. Let me tell you why you are here. You are to be the salt seasoning that brings out God's flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste your godliness? Teacher, Jesus. This is your last chance. After this, there's no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends. <laughs> you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole really goes. Teacher, Morpheus. <laughs> On this day of wondering, waking, and resurrection, let us worship together. Once upon a time, a long time ago, before there were Unitarian Universalists. A long, long time ago, before there were Lutherans, Catherines, Catherines, Catholics, or even Christians. I mean, a really, really long time ago, there were two travelers who walked down a dusty road. They were walking to a small village called Emmaus, a few miles from the city of Jerusalem. Something terrible had happened in Jerusalem, and the two travelers walked along with heavy hearts and downcast eyes. They were very sad. Their friend and teacher had been killed, and they were beside themselves with grief. Their teacher was Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus had gone to Jerusalem to speak and teach about an important way of being in the world. He was Jewish. And he dug deep in his faith tradition with great insight, saying, Love God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence, and love others as well as you love yourself. Not just the people you get along with, but the people you disagree with, the people you don't understand, or the people you don't like. Shake things up. Welcome everyone to your table. Eat and drink. 
There's something about sharing a meal together that grows love in your heart and plant the seeds of justice and peace in surprising ways. This was a very dangerous message. Jesus had been attracting larger and larger crowds with his ideas, and he had a way of offering hope that really took root in people's hearts. This made him really popular with people who were poor and people who were sick and people who were enslaved. And people who were hungry and people who had no homes. But it made him very dangerous to people who wanted things to stay exactly as they were, who wanted people to stay in their places and stuck in their mindsets and just accept the inequalities and oppression and hurt and say, well, that's just the way things are. Jesus became so dangerous as a radical spiritual leader, he was arrested, tried as a criminal, and ultimately killed by the Roman government in ways that were very cruel and very public. His body had been nailed to a large cross of wood. It took a long time for him to die this way, and his friends and travelers had watched him suffer and die. They were beside themselves with grief. While they were walking, another traveler a stranger came along. What are you talking about? Why do you look so sad? The two travelers stood there in disbelief. Did the tr then the traveler named Cleopas answered, are you the only one in all of Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's happened during the last few days? What things? What are you guys talking about? It looks like it's making you very upset. The travelers were a bit irritated. We are remembering our friend and teacher, Jesus of Nazareth. He was a man of God, a prophet. His work and his words were so powerful, he made us believe another world was possible, that heaven was possible on earth. He told us something like this might happen, that when you challenge systems of injustice, it can bring out the worst in people. Some of our friends betrayed him, some of our leaders handed him over to the government, and the Romans sentenced him to death. It is the third day since Jesus died, and now the women in our community have completely confused us. How so? Early this morning, they were at the tomb where Jesus was buried, and they couldn't find the body. They came back with a strange story that they had seen a vision of angels who said Jesus was alive. Some of us went to check for ourselves and found the tomb empty. But we didn't see any angels. We didn't see Jesus, that's for sure. So thick-headed, so slow-hearted, the stranger replied. The travelers couldn't believe how insensitive the stranger was being. Didn't he understand what they just said? Everything was lost. Jesus was dead. The stranger kept going. Why can't you simply believe? Don't you believe what all the prophets have declared, including your friend, um, what's his name? Jesus. Right, Jesus. Don't you remember what the prophets said? What Moses did? Don't you remember what Jesus taught? Then the stranger started at the beginning. What do you think Jesus was trying to teach you? Hmm? He was talking about freedom. Like the prophets before him, the freedom we feel when we lead with love in everything we do love of God, love of ourselves, love of one another, our friends and our enemies. This is not easy. Love isn't easy. Justice isn't a walk in the park. It stretches the spirit in the most surprising ways. 
The travelers shrugged their shoulders. They weren't quite sure what the stranger meant, but he was growing on them. Now, by this time, they'd reached the village of Emmaus. The stranger waved goodbye and skipped ahead. Wait, don't go, called the travelers. Stay with us. It's almost evening and the day is nearly over. Have some supper with us. So all three of them went inside. They gathered around the table. The stranger said no more words. He simply took the bread, blessed it, and broke it in two. The bread felt warm in their hands. The travelers bowed their heads. The smell was so rich and deep, it made their stomachs growl. It made them ache for taste. Something about the bread jostled their memory banks. Something about the stranger's words sent their hearts on fire. Something about the whole experience made their spirits wake up, and they saw a new future of love and justice, and they recognized the stranger. They recognized Jesus. And in that instant... The stranger disappeared. Some people think the stranger was Jesus himself, come back from the dead. Some people think the stranger was just a stranger. But does it really matter? What matters is that we remember and understand that when you lead with love, all kinds of things can happen. Jesus may have died as an individual, but he came back to life as a community. The travelers ran from the end with their minds and hearts wide open, and they preached love and freedom to everyone and everything for the rest of their days. May we remember and do the same. I love the message of this song, Rise Up. But often when I'm in the thick of it, When I'm broken down and tired, and when the voices in my head are shouting all their bad advice, and the fighter in me is just down for the count, I have no clue how to rise up. No matter how hard I want it or how much I need it, I don't know how on earth to rise up. Does that ever happen to you? The story we told this morning is one of the many stories of Easter. There are like 10 different ways that the gospel writers were trying to talk to their people about rising up, about how they were going to walk it out, even in the midst of an incredible blow to their community. Their teacher, their movement leader, Jesus, had been executed, and the days ahead looked hopeless. Everyone in that community was devastated. The two travelers in the story are as clueless as I am sometimes. Cleopas and his friend are in such distress, such grief. They are so wedded to a particular story, a particular interpretation of how things go, addicted to, well, this is just the way things are, that they don't even recognize Jesus when he's standing there right in front of them staring them in the face, talking to them, teaching them, being irritated by them, loving them. In our faith tradition, we think this story is a metaphor for waking up to the central power of Jesus' message, the real of reality, 
that God or the sacred spark or the spirit of life or however you want to name it is in each and every one of us. And that when we commit ourselves to that reality, that the godliness in me is deeply connected to the godliness in you, then the world changes. Believe it, live it, and we move mountains. Heaven comes alive on earth. That's what Jesus preached. Now, do you see the picture in your order of service? It's right under the sermon title. Now, don't say anything. Just don't shout anything out. Just take a look at the picture. Look at it. Keep looking. Do you see something? Don't say anything. Now, keep looking and see if it changes. So someone who is under the age of 12... Raise your hand and tell me what you saw at first and then what you saw next after looking at it for a little. Excellent. Yes. A crow and then a rabbit. Yes. Wake up. That's what Jesus was preaching. He said, drop whatever storyline you're telling yourself what a picture is or isn't, what we think we see or don't see, what someone is or is not, does or doesn't do, and stay in this spiritual taproot of open-hearted living. I've been reading Pema Chodron's book, Living Beautifully, and she's a Buddhist monk and is preaching a very similar message. In it, she talks about the thing that causes us the most distress is the fact that we human beings want to keep things steady. We scramble for certainty, even when we live in a world of constant flux, of creation always creating, of everything changing. Things get even worse for us when we're stressed out or triggered. We tend to hold on even tighter to whatever handholds we can find even the deeply problematic ones. She writes, what a predicament. We seem doomed to suffer simply because we have a deep-seated fear of how things are. Her suggestion for the spirit, finding that spiritual taproot of open-hearted living is to feel the feelings but drop the storyline. Feel the feelings, but drop the storyline. To feel the anxiety, the discomfort, the hopelessness, directing your full attention to the pain of whatever now you are living, breathing in and out from the spot that hurts, but letting go of any story that you have concocted about it. It's bad, I shouldn't feel this way, I'm worthless, I am never going to get this right. If I were better, things would be better. I hate this. Maybe this will never end. Oh, dear God, I wish it would end. Pema teaches, get in touch with the sensation without labeling it. We know that we are feeling beings. We feel all kinds of things. We have automatic responses to the things and situations around us. The moment an anger or a fear is triggered, 
it takes 90 seconds to work through our system. That's what we know from the body sciences. An automatic response takes 90 seconds from the moment it's triggered until it runs its course. What keeps us in the place of suffering and pain is a story. The stories we tell ourselves, the stories society tells us about ourselves, the stories we, protect, we project on one another. Now, I'm not talking about the stories that root us in health, that root us in our awesome godsomeness. I'm talking about that internal dialogue that triggers and re-triggers our suffering. The stories that keep us so wrapped up in a narrative that we can't recognize the teacher, the friend, the awakening, the way through. Jesus staring us in the face. The greatest movement, sorry, the greatest mistake of the movement has been trying to organize the sleeping people around specific goals. You have to wake up the people first, then you'll get action. Malcolm X. For every white person who is listening, you are a racist. For every person of color or indigenous person who is listening, including myself, you are anti-black. You awake now? Denial. What? I'm not a racist. Racist people are people who hate people of color. Racists burn crosses in churches. Racists abuse power and kill minorities. Anti-black? I cannot be anti-black. I am black. Anti-black, but I love black culture. Anti-black, but I love black people. Anger. Who does she think she is? Standing up in a church calling people racist and anti-black. She don't know me. She doesn't know my life. She doesn't know all the good work that I have done. Bargaining. Well, what if I show her? all the social justice works that I've done? What if I show her all the actions I've taken to support the black community? What if I show her all the ways that I listen and support minorities? Depression. But maybe it's not enough. Maybe I am a bad person. Maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. Maybe all my work is not helping. Maybe I should just give up. These are the stories we tell ourselves over and over again that keep us stuck in a worldview that is killing us, that is breaking our spirits, that is keeping us numbed out and boxed in. What if we happen to look at racism and anti-blackness more like an addiction problem rather than a personal failing? What if we just accept that our society makes us who we are? Our society is racist. Our society is anti-black. You are a racist, I am anti-black. But what if we put ourselves into a recovery program? When racism and anti-blackness is so pervasive and seeped into our society, it is like an addiction. One just does not stop being an addict. One must actively work not to succumb to the addiction, one day at a time. Racism and anti-blackness is our addiction. You will never stop being a racist. I will never stop being anti-black. 
but we can choose to put ourselves into recovery and actively fight our racism and anti-blackness every single day. Yes, we will slip up. Yes, we will at times intentionally or unintentionally take a hit of our addiction. For example, I took a hit this week when I was more shocked by the burning of Notre Dame than the burning of three black churches in Louisiana. I unintentionally gave more value to a white church than a black one. What if we were to admit that we are powerless over our addiction and our lives have become unmanageable? What if we practice self-love, self-forgiveness, and self-accountability? What if we took a personal inventory and made amends? What if we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with what is holy and essential, praying only for wisdom and the power to carry it out? What if having a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to addicts of racism and anti-blackness and vowed to practice these principles in all our affairs? Hi, my name is Ruth and I'm a recovering racist. Hi, my name is Darren, and I am a recovering anti-black. On this day of resurrection and recovery, may we feel the feelings and drop the storyline. May we wrestle with our addiction and live into our liberation, knowing it will take one day at a time. Jesus once said, you are here to be light bringing out the God colors of the world. Shine, keep open house, be generous with your lives. On this Easter Sunday, may we rise up out of the dead stories, the storylines that no longer serve us, that trap us into small thinking and even smaller living. May we feel the feelings and drop the storyline, living and breathing compassion. Compassion for ourselves, compassion for one another, and shine. Believe this, practice this, live this, and we move mountains. Heaven comes alive on earth. May, May it be so, and, and amen. amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F I R S T U N I V, to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.